Hey guys, this is Jeremy and welcome to the Everyman Livestream. Now we're in a powerful series called Live to Please. Now if you join us for parts one, two, and three, you have been challenged to follow Jesus' example and model of pleasing God. You've also learned that pleasing God is an inner thing. You please him by developing a heart and character for his purposes. Now each session has been building up to today's challenging study for every God's man, pleasing God in the way we connect with people. Now, men's expert and pastor Kenny Luck is going to remind all of us from the Bible that God is a good father, and all good fathers want their sons to treat others in a good way. So get ready to be stretched and inspired to seek God's will for every relationship you have. But before we dive into today's study, why don't you share this powerful message with your friends? Now let's go live to Crossline Church in Laguna Hills, California, and join Pastor Kenny for part four of Live to Please. What's up? Good morning. If you have a Bible, you can open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. That's going to be a key passage for this morning. Uh, we're in a series called Live to Please. And I'm going to start this morning with a question. How many of you guys know what a hot tip is? You know what a hot tip? So the best hot tip which changed the trajectory of my life. Okay, now this is big, right? That's a big buildup, right? Got a hot tip, changed the trajectory of my life was my uh, junior year at UCLA. I'm walking back from finals. It's Friday. I have a late final all the way at the end of the week. I'm walking down Gailey Avenue toward my fraternity, and I see my now wife's roommate. We bump into each other. And I said, hey, Lisa, what's up? And uh, we start talking. And it's right before the Christmas break. And I said, you know, I was thinking about, um, you know, just kind of like checking in with, with Chrissy, her roommate, over the Christmas break. And this is what she did. She said, that would be a really, really, really good idea. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Changed my life, right? 31 years later, happily married, three kids. See, hot tips pay off. Okay? I got a hot tip. I got intel. See, when you got good intelligence, it gives you a little leg up in the mission. Amen? Right. So any connection in any relationship, if you get a hot tip, the relationship uh, can change. And that's true in our relationship with God. We need and want the insight Jesus has to give us to have a changed connection with God. Amen? We listen to him. He's the person who's close and who has the intel and has, has the hot tip so that our, can, our relationship with God can be meaningful. It can be fulfilling. And, uh, and so we need and want the insight from the life of Jesus and how he lived and, and from the Bible. And so that's what we're talking about in this series, Live to Please. Let's look at the Bible in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to start off with that. Here's a hot tip. Ready? Let's read it together. So whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please him. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Right? Hot tip, clear goal. Right? There you go. Bible saying. God, I'm going to make it simple. You know, in the battle of simple versus complicated, the Bible makes it really simple. Wherever you are. 
whoever you're with, whatever you're considering, whatever meeting you're about to go into, whatever bad situation you're about to enter, do what pleases God, all right? It's like that. In this passage, it's, it's like that, that saying in uh, Gladiator, what we do on earth echoes in, hmm, we got some movie fans here. What we do on earth echoes in eternity because if, if while we're here on earth, if we live to please him, this passage from scripture just said that echoes into eternity. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Now, we're not, we're not saved through works and what we do, right? We're saved by grace, the Bible teaches, but we're rewarded by works, all right? You can't do anything to win forgiveness of sin, and a home in heaven. Jesus did all that, all right? But the things that you do on earth to please God, that goes forward. Otherwise, why would Jesus say, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, all right? There's an incentive to please God while you're on earth. Now, now that we got the hot tip and the clear goal, let's look at this key passage from 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. Let's get behind it with some energy. Ready? Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself may be disqualified, may not be disqualified. So you might want to circle uh, on the second line, it says exercises self-control. So when you get the hot tip and you get a clear goal, then it's all about disciplining your body, your life, your energy, your choices toward that goal in order to win, right? And the metaphor, I love the boxing metaphor. There's a good running metaphor, but I kind of like the boxing metaphor a little bit better because in a boxing match, there's punches thrown and punches what? Landed, right. So it doesn't matter if you're swinging and missing, okay? And in life and in the spiritual life, and while you're here on earth, you know, my job as your pastor is to help you swing and land punches, all right? Now, if you listen to the world and you listen to your flesh and you listen to culture out there, in this life, you're going to swing and miss. But if you listen to the Bible, you're going you're gonna to land punches. And so that's what we're talking about. So here's just a little summary. Write this down. A clear goal rallies my energy. All right, write that down. A clear goal rallies my energy. Secondly, a clear goal harnesses my resources. I got physical resources, I might have material resources, I have relational resources. Third, a clear goal narrows my choices. I'm not going to please everybody. I'm not going to do everything. I can't do everything. I got to narrow my choices because I have a clear goal. And then lastly, and on this point of throwing and landing punches, a clear goal empowers my discipline. It empowers my discipline. Got a hot tip, got a clear goal. Man, I got energy, resources, choices, and discipline behind that hot tip. I mean, that's what I did with my wife. I went home on Christmas break, and I, I looked at that phone on my parents' bed, you know, back when we had landlines, you know, in the Jurassic era, you know? And I'm looking at that phone, I'm just like, man, do I call her, do I not call her? Do I call her, do I not call her? Well, I got the hot tip, 
I picked up the phone. I started a relationship. All right? Now, the Bible says that we're getting the hot tip right now that we should live on this earth to please God. Number one, and we talked in, num- in, in part one about how Jesus modeled that for us. He said in John 8, 28, the one who sent me is with me. He has not abandoned me, for I always do what pleases him. Okay, so that's the model. Now, we're building a bridge. Jesus lives in you. All right? This is the way Jesus lived. Jesus lives in you. So it's, it's good to assume that that same lifestyle of pleasing God would be coming out of you if Jesus is in you. In part two, we talked about, okay, great. Jesus modeled it for us. Jesus lives in me. That should be my lifestyle. Second, part two is, how do we please God spiritually? Jesus pleased God spiritually. How do we please God spiritually? All right? And part three, it was we please God with personal maturity. The Bible says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. All right? So we please God with personal maturity. Here in part four, we're going to talk about pleasing God relationally. All right? Pleasing God relationally because Jesus did that. He loved people the best that any man has ever loved people. Jesus did that. And it's sort of like if you're a father and you have a son and, or a daughter, if you have kids, um, you, know, you get feedback on how they treated people, right? And you go, my son did what? Or you're like, that's my boy, right? <laughs> so let's, let's, let's kind of wear those lens as sons as we look at how to please God relationally. And we please God relationally, number one, by how I give grace to others. Now, after each one of these fill-ins, on how we can please God relationally, you can parenthetically put after the fill-in, like God does with me. All right? Just know that. Like God does with me. All right? So we please God by how I give grace to others. Let's read Romans 5.8 together. Ready? But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So in other words, when I was at my worst... God sent his best. God gave his best. God covered me with his best. What do you need when you blow it? Someone to come in and judge you and say, I told you so. That always happens. You know, you use the words that you shouldn't use, always, you know, or you never, or something like that. God didn't do that. When, when Kenny Luck was at his worst, God provided his best, his best grace. I didn't deserve that. You didn't deserve that, but God provided that. And so when, when, when we have an experience and an encounter like that, and we don't give it away, God has feelings about that. Look what it says in Ephesians 4, 30 to 32. Ready? And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. You see, it grieves God when a grace-receiving sinner becomes an anger-delivering destroyer. That grieves God's heart. Why? Because at your worst, he covered your worst with his grace. He covered your shortcomings. He covered your imperfections. He's covered your mistakes. At your worst, guess what you got? You got God's grace. So it grieves God when his sons, 
who are grace-receiving sinners become anger-delivering destroyers. Now, when we give grace, though, it pleases God. So that's why the command in the passage is get rid of that anger stuff toward people as best as you can. Get rid of it, especially for people who are in relationship with you. And when they blow it or when their flaws come to the surface, how do you respond? You know, I don't know about you, but I get get bugged by stuff, right? But then I, I look at myself and I go, man, my sin really bugged God. And it was bad. But at my worst, God sent Jesus and he died for me so that we could have a relationship and he covered um, my sin. That's why one of my favorite um, scenes is when there's a bunch of dudes, right, and uh, religious guys, and uh, Jesus is meeting with them, and then in comes the sinful prostitute into the meeting. It's like she doesn't even see the men. It's, she's breaking all the rules, by the way. One, she's unholy. These are holy men. Two, she's a woman. All right? Three, she's interrupting. And she's bringing with her the most precious thing that she owns. She's bringing an alabaster jar of perfume. And it's like she doesn't even see the other guys. And she falls at Jesus' feet. And she starts to worship him. And, and her tears are falling on his feet. And she's anointing his feet with perfume. She's worshiping. She's giving like her, her very best. And the Bible says that the men in the room were thinking to themselves, if he knew the person that was doing that, he wouldn't allow it. And so then Jesus, knowing their thoughts, he says, I want to say something to you. I came into this room, and you didn't even wash my feet. I came into this room, and I wasn't even greeted with a kiss. He goes, this woman is anointing my feet and kissing my feet. And he says, therefore, her sins, which have been many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Do you know how much you're forgiven? You know, if you know how much you're forgiven, you'll love people well. You'll give them grace. So that's why we have communion. That's why we're having these reminders. That's why God wants us to give away what he's given us. That's why I'm camping on point one a little bit. This is central to pleasing God. Give away what you've experienced with him. Secondly, we please God relationally by how we raise the spirits of others. Again, like God did with me. Let's read 2 Thessalonians 2. 15 to 17, about how, how God raised our spirits. Ready? May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. That's pretty good encouragement from God. He gave us eternal encouragement and good hope. That means it's encouragement that never fades. It's encouragement that is and will always be. You have a reason to be encouraged right now if you know Jesus Christ. You have eternal encouragement. It's never going to be taken from you. It will never go away if you know him. And so in light of how God treats us, let's now read uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 10 and 11. Ready? 
He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Now, why is it a command? It's a command because God knows that people walk around under-encouraged. When you're under-encouraged, you're lonely. And God hates loneliness. Amen? You see, that's why this is so important. If we know from God's word that people are under-encouraged, that's why it's a command. Jesus commands us to do what people need relationally. So if he commands us, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, he's telling us that because that's what he does, that's who he is, that's what he's done with us. But he also knows that under-encouraged people are lonely, and lonely people are vulnerable, and vulnerable people are exploited. The devil loves to exploit my loneliness and your loneliness and the loneliness around your table and the loneliness in your coworker and the loneliness in your neighbor and the loneliness in a, in a daughter or a son. He exploits it and he takes advantage of it and he lies to them to destroy them when they're vulnerable. When you're lonely and feel alone, aren't you vulnerable? I'm vulnerable to sin. I'm vulnerable to doing things I would never do if I was walking around a little more encouraged, amen? So just make this assumption, guys. People around you are under encouraged. But the most encouraging people on the planet should be followers of Jesus because they've been given eternal encouragement. So I please God relationally by how I give grace to others, by how I raise the spirit of others. Third, by how I meet the needs of others. And again, parenthetically, like God does with me, how God met my need. Jesus is teaching his his guys about leadership in Luke chapter 22, and he says this to them. The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you shall be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. Let's finish it together. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not, it's not the one who is at the table but I am among you as one who serves. Wow. So Jesus is saying, you can lead by position or you can lead by meeting the needs of others. I could lead by position. Jesus is saying, am I not among you as one who serves? If you're saying the greater person who's the person who sits and gets served, I should be that person because I have position. All right? Jesus is going, I have position but I have a higher authority. Therefore, I'm going to lead by how I meet the needs of the people around me. Right? So if you want to lead and you want to please God, there should be four words that should be always coming out of your mouth. And you know what they are? What do you... Your wife should hear out of your mouth, hey, babe, what do you need? Your kids... From when they're this big to that big. Should be coming out of your mouth. Hey, what do you need? What can I get you? What do you need? The guys to your left and right should be hearing from you. Hey, you need anything? Are you okay? Do you need anything? What do you need? And they can respond. They go, no, I'm good. Or they can say, you know what? I got this. All right? Your neighbor, hey, you need anything? That's Jesus. That's God. And he said, you know what? That shows that you're a leader in the kingdom of God. 
not by your position, or not by what you demand, or not by having a guy who does everything for you, but by you entering spaces and going, hey, what do you need? What the Bible says in Galatians 5.13, let's read that together. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. You see, God, because of his love for me, has set me free from having to please people. Or he set me free from trying to chase their acceptance. He set me free from having to do stupid things to be accepted. So I'm free. And then God says, you know why I set you free? So that you could get out of your own head and about you and make it about other people. That's how you're supposed to responsibly manage the freedom that I'm giving you. You know how to use that acceptance from me, which guarantees that you're going to heaven and you're always going to be okay and I'm causing all things to work together for the good? That frees you in any moment, in any circumstance, whether you're under a lot of pressure or a little pressure, to see other people because I'm in your life and I say I'm working everything together, you can still, in the mix of life, serve other people. Why? Because you're free. And that's how we're supposed to use our freedom. Now, here's the mindset that we're trying to build. We find it in 1 Corinthians 9.19. Ready? Let's read that together. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Wow. There's a guy who gets it. He understands how to please God relationally. And it's by how he meets the needs of others. So you know what God's expectation is of his sons? is that you'll say those four words a lot. You need anything? You need anything. Remember that. All right, so we please God relationally by how we give grace to others, like God did with me. We please God relationally by how I raise the spirits of others, like God did with me. We please God by how I meet the needs of others because he met my need and he modeled it. All right, fourth, we please God relationally by how we love others courageously. Again, parenthetically, like God did. Like God did. Let's read John 15, 13 together. Ready? This is Jesus talking. Ready? Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Ooh. Okay, so there's love how we receive it in culture, and it's usually eros, some kind of sexual erotic thing, or it's just, you know, or it's romantic, right? 90% of all songs downloaded on iTunes are about romantic love. The Bible doesn't speak in that language when it, when it talks about love. Love is, not, love is not erotic except for in Song of Songs, right? It's not always romantic. Jesus defines love, and he says, you know, it's when you sacrifice. That's how I know you love me. Not so much by the words, not so much by the flowers, not so much by the actions or the activities. It's by how you sacrifice. You say no to yourself to say yes to me. Jesus said no to his comfort to say yes to you on the cross. That's real love, right? So if you want a picture of courageous love, you're like, how do I work that out? All right? How do I love others courageously? So I put 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, and uh, if you're looking at the notes, you'll see that there's blank spots. And what word goes in that blank spot? Okay, guess what? Put your name instead of the word love. Okay? I know some of you want to vomit right now. All right, but put your name in, in, in place of love so it's, you know, Craig is patient and kind. Rick is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. RC does not demand 
his own way. Martin is not irritable. Gary keeps no record of being wronged, right? Dan does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. JP never gives up. Ernie never loses faith. Anthony is always hopeful. Brendan endures through every circumstance. Let's finish it together. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. That's how you love courageously. So if you want to do a little test, put your name in place of love in 1 Corinthians 13, and then we probably all have a lot of work to do, amen? Like, wow. But see, that's the standard. That's the standard. Why? Because Jesus set the bar. So you're going to start making sacrificial decisions like that, and people will know, wow, he really loves well. It's not your standard, it's God's standard. So that's how we please God, by loving others courageously, and there's a picture of how to do it in 1 Corinthians 13. Let's read 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. Ready? We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. You know, if you share a lot of words about God, but you don't serve your fellow man, your words about God fall short. If you really want to love people, you share your life. You say no to yourself, and you take a part of your life, and you give it away, right? A Christian should be known not for what they take up, but for what they give up for the sake of other people, because that's how Jesus is known, amen? All right, so that's how we please God, by how we love others courageously. Next, we, we love others and please God relationally by how I speak honestly to others. You know, there's 83 times in the Gospels where Jesus says, truly I say to you. Why does he have to say that? Because people are being dishonest with each other. People are manipulating one another with their words. People are working other people with their words. People are outright lying to one another with their words. And so Jesus predicates what he says with, truly I say to you. Okay, And then what comes next is the truth. All right, About anything. Right. So we look at Jesus, and we go, wow, he really spoke honestly to others. Again, we're building that bridge. Jesus always pleases God. One of the ways in which he always pleases God is by telling the truth and speaking honestly, right? Look at what it says here in Ephesians 4, 22 to 25. Let's read this together. Ready? You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor for we are all members of one body. You get the picture? There was an old way and there was a new way. And the old way was to be a slave to deceitful desires, which means we had to manipulate people and lie to people. We would speak falsely in order to get our needs met. We would say things to get our needs met. But then Christ entered the picture, and he made you new in the attitude of your mind, and you put on the new self, created to be like God, and falsehood took a backseat, and speaking truthfully, to your fellow man, uh, took over. So what does that mean? No manipulation, no embellishment, 
no half-truths. That's convicting. Because, you know, as a man, as a sinner, as a broken dude, I'm really skilled at the art of fudging. Either I don't want to get a reaction from you, or I don't want to upset you, or I want to control the situation or get what I want. So out it comes, and it might not be all lie, but it's not all truth. You know, Jesus didn't say, I'm mostly the truth, mostly the way, mostly the life. All right, sort of the way, sort of the truth, sort of the life. Right? No, he said, I am. That's a big, right there, I am. I am the truth. So it's hard for God to get close to a self-deceiving, manipulator, deceiver, and half-truther. Why? Because he's all truth. And the quicker you learn to be honest with God, honest with yourself, and honest with others, all right, the more you'll get closer to God and the more you'll become like Christ and the more you'll please God, right? So I please God relationally by how I speak honestly uh, to others. Next and last, I please God relationally by how I pray for others. And again, like God does with me. Do you know Jesus is praying for you right now? Now, it's hard to believe that in a human perspective because we're human and like we do single unit events, right? In prayer. Well, Jesus is infinite and he's all-knowing and he is everywhere all at once and he can intercede for you at any time, all the time because that's the nature of God. That's who he is, the amazing person, that he can do that. But look at the Bible, and look at what, how Jesus prayed for us in John 17, verses 20 and 21. Ready? My prayer is not for them alone, his guys. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that's us, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Wow, that's cool. Jesus was praying for us while he was on earth. He was praying for people. He was praying for you. He saw you way down the line. You know, we're part of that legacy. Three years, 12 guys, 20 centuries of movement and answers to prayer for Jesus. People who would believe in him through the message of those who follow him, right? Now, as it relates to us, look at how prayer pleases God. Let's read 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4, and then we'll get to discussion. Ready? I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So, the urgent request of God's word is that you pray for all people. The guy to your right and left, your wife, your kids. I was, I was on a plane, and uh, so I fly a lot. So I'm the priority after the priority after the priority. Like, I'm not like here, here, here. I'm like right there. So I get on, and I get on a little bit earlier than four or five groups. So I'm on early, and I'm sitting in 10C on the exit row with lots of legroom on purpose. And I'm watching everybody walk by. And as everybody walks by, the Lord goes, you should pray for every person. You got on the plane early. I'm like, really? Every person? 
And he said, really, every person? So I'm thinking, what can I pray? What can I pray? Oh, I know what I can pray. I can pray like Jesus prayed. John 17, 4, that she may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you did send. That she, he may know you and Jesus Christ whom you did send. That they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you did send. And I'm like, boom, 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 boom. I had four segments, and I confess, I'm like batting 500. So I did it on two out of the four flights. But you get the picture? It pleases God when we pray for other people. It pleases God when you, before you go to bed, you say, honey, I'm going to cover you with a blessing. It pleases God. You say, hey, what do you need? And they tell you what's going on. You just go, hey, let me pray with you. And you know, it's great to hear someone talk to God about you. It means, it, what it communicates is concern and authentic love. That I'm going to talk to God for you. And people, I've never met someone who goes, hey, can I pray for you? And they go, no. Can I pray for you? Of course. Why? Because they're lonely, they're hurting, they're struggling, the world is broken, there's injustice, there's problems, they have needs, they're depressed, they're sad, they're under-encouraged, they're exploited, they feel vulnerable by life. And then some man of God walks into their space and says, what do you need? What's going on? And then you just go, let me pray for you. Can I pray for you? It's not about you. It's about the object of your prayers. It's the person at the center of your prayers because he has what they need. You don't have what they need. He has what they need. But you can talk to him about them and he can give them what he has to meet their needs. But you're the agent. When was the last time you just kind of stopped what you were doing and just say, let's pray? That's what a man of God does. Like he brings first call, like instead of like second, third, or fourth option, you know, you walk into the situation, you're just like, I have all these resources, I have wisdom, I have knowledge, I'm good at stuff, I can do it, you know, I'll, I'll give them myself. No, the best thing that you can give another person is the person of Christ and what he can do. So we pray for others. Now, the reason why we did this series is because we got a hot tip. And the hot tip is if you're living on earth, before you go to heaven, Live to please God. And all you got to do is look at Jesus. Look at how Jesus lived. Look at how Jesus did his relationship with God. All right? Look at how Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor in God with man. He grew up. All right? He grew up. He matured. Right? That pleases the Father. And then we look at, at Jesus and we go, wow, he really did a lot of things for me. And he treats me the way I should treat other people. In, in these ways. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2, it's not on your notes. This is a um, no cover charge, all right, for this one. It's free. It's from God's Word. It says, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, all right? So here's the big idea, and I want you to speak this. And if you mean it, say it with energy. Say, Christ gave himself up for me. Christ lives in me. I give myself up for others. There it is. That pleases God. Christ gave himself up for us. Christ lives in us. We give ourselves up for others. Amen? All right. Let's ask God to do that. Let's ask God to do that right now in you. Let's close, let's close our eyes. Let's bow our heads. Let's go before God. Jesus, thank you that right now at this very second you're praying for us. You intercede on our behalf, the Bible says. 
And you can do it because you're God, you're infinite, you're all-powerful, you're all-knowing. You know every hair on our head or not every hair on our head. But you know us better than we know ourselves. And Lord, most of all, we want to please you with our relationships. Jesus, you died for people. You died for us. And you've given grace to us. And you raised our spirits and given us eternal encouragement. You met our needs. You loved us courageously. You told us the truth. And you prayed for us. Those who would believe in you through the message of your disciples. And so, Lord, we want to imitate you as your sons. So you gave yourself up for us. You live in us. And right now, to a man, Lord, I don't, we don't know all that it's going to mean today, but we're going to give ourselves up for others the way you gave yourself up for us. Fill us with your spirit so we have the power to do that. In Christ's name we pray and God's men said.